It's a great way to kick things off today. Thank you so much. I also want to thank everyone that uh, came out and helped this week uh, in any way with uh, cleaning up around the grounds of the building, doing some maintenance. Uh, had a lot of helpers, and I said this on Facebook the other day, it's just such an honor to serve with congregation that knows that it doesn't just go to church, we are the church. And uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for any small part you played in that, also with Community Days prep coming up next weekend. Uh, also, before I get going, I just wanted to say, do you know how difficult it is to want to get up behind the pulpit a week after it's been filled by Dr. Keith Wise? I just want to prepare you that last week, it's possible that you received the equivalent of spiritual filet mignon, and this morning... I just hope to offer up a couple of uh, McDonald's hamburgers to you, that's all. Try to at least make it seasoned cow for the cause of Christ. How's that? I, I actually spent time on that little intro. <laughs> Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's, let's jump into our text right away this morning. Our text this morning says, and we've been hearing a little bit about this this morning, for uh, by grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we're just going to leave that up there uh, today on the screen uh, in part uh, so that you can spend some time meditating on it while we talk. Also, because I copied the wrong translation over onto my paper. So we're going to leave that one up there. But it is with this scripture that we want to welcome you, everyone, uh, to week one of a new five-week sermon series entitled, A Summer of Grace. It's called A Summer of Grace because, first of all, this series, Lord Willing, is going to take us through a portion of summer, the next four Sundays, uh, right up to the 150th anniversary celebration in August. Just want to say praise the Lord again for that, 150 years, wow. And secondly, this series is all about the one subject out of anything we could talk about together. This one thing can change your life forever, forever and ever and ever. And I mean that out of everything, grace. You may wonder, well, why do we, why, why should the church, the ones that, you know, we've already received God's grace in Christ, why, why do we need to hear a five-week summer series on grace? And the answer is, my friends, because all that we, all that we, the church, all that we, the Christians are, we are who we are because of God's grace. Because of the grace of God. If it weren't for the grace of God, we wouldn't be going on 150 years of the church little sea by the side of the road, would we? If it weren't for the grace of God, we wouldn't be going on 2,000 plus years of the worldwide church, big C, either. And if Paul, apostle, uh, apostle firsthand uh, witness of Jesus... If Paul thought it was important to remind the first century church, as he did here, of the importance of grace time and time again, I can't imagine it being any less important for the 21st century church to hear the same. If you're hearing this message, you're not a Christian this morning. Praise the Lord because you're in luck. Guess what? The message of grace is for you. The reality of eternal life hangs in the distance. While the world around you, fellow traveler of the world, is dying. Is dying. 
Paul, if you back up a little bit in, in Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a Bible uh, open and you want to look at it, that's fine. If not, I'll just share it with you here. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, You are dead in the trespasses, dead in the sins in which you once walked. Dead, he uses that word. While the world around you is headed for death and destruction, you too have the opportunity to come up out of the world because of grace. Because of grace. This is what we like to call the gospel or the good news, that forgiveness, that eternal life in Jesus Christ is available to all who will receive his grace. For by grace you, O church, have been saved through faith. And so... My friends, grace for you, according to Paul, number one means that you, 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 and you can all be included in what you might call this limited offer. You may have heard on, on TV, this offer can end at any time, so call today. By grace, we are saved in Jesus alone, and grace for you, according to Paul, secondly in our text, means that you, 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 and you can't do anything at all to save yourselves from death, can't do anything to save yourselves from destruction, but only by accepting the gift of Jesus. And no additions, exceptions, or substitutions will do. But this is good news. This is good news. In this political world we live, the gospel levels the playing field. It levels the playing field. Uh, if we want to uh, riff on Paul a little bit elsewhere, it's been said that there are only two kinds of people, right? Not Jew or Greek or slave or free, but those who need Jesus and those who need more Jesus. And no matter which group of people, you, 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 etc., are a part of this morning, let's talk more. Let's talk more about what it means to experience, number one, grace through faith, and number two, grace solely through through that faith, only through that faith. And this summer, let's spend time being reminded of these things together. Do you realize that grace through faith and only faith will make or break the faith? It will make the break or break the faith. And I'm, and I'm serious about this. As an evangelist, do you know, uh, can I share with you the biggest complaint that I hear uh, from uh, people I talk to, share with, uh, encounter on social media, etc., you name it, from non-believers and believers about Christianity, both on this side of the cross and on the other side of forgiveness. It always revolves around the person, the individual's perceived demands of the Almighty. We, we often complain about what we think God expects of us. Think about it. Non-believers like to shrug off grace. Maybe they'll, they'll mock biblical teaching. Maybe they'll, they'll ask questions such as, why would God need to send me his son to suffer in place of a punishment that he himself inflicts upon me? Why can't God just keep from punishing me in the first place? And these are some common hang-ups about Christianity uh, for many people, right? You'll, you'll run across these often. And they're thought-provoking, but they also reflect a misunderstanding of the Almighty. That God does not willfully inflict punishment, death, destruction upon anyone. The Bible says he'd rather everyone be saved by grace. 2 Peter 3.9 but the problem is, God is holy. No thanks to sin, we are not. Christ makes up the difference. Christ is all that can. 
But we dismiss sin. We dismiss God's holiness if we're in disbelief. We dismiss an individual's need to make up the difference between these points. Romans 6.23. In disbelief, we essentially refuse to accept that, hey, there's someone out there who's a lot bigger than I am, and he has a standard that I cannot meet without his help. If we're in disbelief, non-believers often will just see power and punishment, but not grace. But not grace. They don't see grace. And in turning away from God in disbelief, we don't accept some kind of blind punishment. We refuse God's grace. We refuse God's grace. It's heartbreaking. Some in disbelief, some non-believers are really ex-believers, but basically are just the one-time faithful, often that are now just disappointed with God. Something happened to their faith to devastate it. How could our God, quote, take away their brother, take away their mother, take away their newborn child? And again, it's, it's perception. It's what we think about God that can get us into trouble, that can keep us from him, that makes or breaks our faith. Because God is not a, a bloodthirsty tyrant out for blood, out for death. Jesus went to the cross willingly. He went to the cross willingly. Let's not forget that. The Bible says our God is the redeemer of life. Isaiah 47, 4. And so we've got to get those of, of disbelief among us of the grace of God to the Redeemer before their grace period is over. Amen? But then what about us believers? What about Christians, those of us who've been saved through faith? What would you say we usually complain about in the church besides the fact that we still don't have a cracker barrel next door? Preacher, you got to quit talking about that. It's not going to happen. Once again, the perceived demands of the Almighty. Don't we misunderstand grace, too? In all of our scrambling around sometimes to be the perfect Christians, don't we sometimes forget who has given us that name in the first place? We never earned it. Sometimes, to some of us, you'd think Jesus is some kind of slave driver. And it's just as heartbreaking. I have to guarantee I'm the one that heads up this ministry this year. I have to make sure I'm the one that looks like they're in charge of that study or it won't get off the ground. How will I ever make it into heaven if I don't fill up my scheduled exhaustion with Christian activities and Christian services and Christian organizations with other Christians? Did I hear enough Christian music on my Christian radio station and my Christian Buick on the way home to my Christian A-frame? I don't think we say these things. They're ridiculous. Any builder will tell you there's no way, shape, or form any such thing as a Christian A-frame. You just can't build one of those. But be honest, my friends. Are we the church of Christ? Are we ever guilty of confusing what we are doing with what has already been done? I think sometimes we are. I think sometimes we are. Because Paul doesn't say in our text, you have been saved through keeping up with the Joneses or the most popular couple in your church. Paul doesn't say it's by proving yourself as dedicated that you are saved, so you better get busy grinding yourself down to nothing on earth, and if you're diligent, God won't grind you down to nothing in eternity. There are some groups that actually will believe and teach, propagate uh, this about salvation, but I think uh, workaholism can rear its ugly head anywhere. Yet we've been saved by grace. In January of this year, as uh, many of you know, I suffered uh, what's actually called an eye stroke, and uh, sometimes uh, attributed to uh, stress, anxiety, these kinds of things. I wasn't sleeping much by the end of 2017, but I was, I was working a lot. I was taking some classes. I think I was basically trying to sleep as little as possible. 
At the ophthalmologist's office, uh, the nurse told me at a follow-up visit that, that this eye stroke, this uh, blood blowout in the back of my eye was all because of bad luck. That's reassuring. The ophthalmologist, you know, you know what he said? He said, why don't you go home and take it easy? That doesn't help much either. But, you know, as many of you know, taking it easy doesn't come easy to this guy. I mean, my wife had to basically physically threaten me to keep me from writing this sermon over vacation. You know what I'm saying? And it worked because I'm terrified of her. <laughs> but justifying workaholism for the cause of Christ is a real problem in the church. It really is. I actually heard a preacher say one time, I don't ever take a day off because I know Satan doesn't take a day off. And if I were that preacher, I might consider having a different role model. You know what I mean? And so Paul goes on to make a separation between the grace that's been given to us and our response to grace. That's in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. We, we, won't, we won't go through that. What we do as the church, though we do because of what's been done for us. Can't let the devil confuse those things for us. Back to our text. By grace, you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. Grace through faith, and only faith is going to make or break the faith. I believe that. Nothing less, nothing more is going to do when it comes to what comes from God. So when you understand that there's, there's grace for you, you personally, you an individual, it means you know that by the blood of Jesus, you've never done anything bad enough to keep you from glory. Praise the Lord. Someone has said, uh, God is, uh, Jesus is far better a savior than you are a sinner. I like that. And I know from experience, my past sins, our past sins, they can really be a hang-up for some of us in God's grace. But we have to let those sins go. We've got to let them go. The accuser doesn't want us to let them go, but we have to let them go. Sometimes we have to forgive ourselves because God has forgiven us, and I think he knows better than I do. So no matter what kind of real-world consequences or, or strained relationships or financial woes or legal troubles, you might be paying for things you've done in the past. If you have God's grace, your sins no longer exist as far as God is concerned. Isn't that wonderful? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's a promise in Psalm 103 because there's grace for us. When you understand there's, there's grace for you, it means you can't ever do anything good enough to take the place of or add to the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, for there's one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, praise the Lord. But because you do understand there's, there's grace for you in Christ Jesus, this also means you know, you understand that a real, literal hell actually burns for those others who don't know the grace of God, who aren't covered by the blood, Revelation 20.10. And so no matter what you've done, my friend, in response to his grace, it should keep you on the move. Not for your own good. That's already done. That's been taken care of. But for the grace of others, for the good of others. The grace of God should move you clear to you know where and back. I wanted to say the real word and I changed my mind. 
to keep even lost one person, keep even one person from going there eternally. Amen? I know that hellfire, damnation, these aren't the most upbeat, popular, shiny, white, tooth preacher topic to hear from the pulpit. But unless we're reminded, unless we're reminded that without God's grace in Christ Jesus, we are by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3, unless we spend time in the scriptures which tell us, which remind us, what are we saved by grace from? Well, let's just say we're much more likely to keep ourselves, keep others from playing with fire if we know how hot it can burn, right? The Tuesday before last, uh, during uh, vacation week, my, my family and I spent a good part of one day in in Muskegon over at the, uh, I'm going to try this, Pierre Marquette Beach. Did I pronounce that right? I'm still learning up here, Mackinac and Charlotte and all those places. We had Verners in Indiana, so I know how to pronounce that one. But, but Tuesday morning, the wife and I loaded up, family in a cooler full of food, and uh, picked up a couple of uh, Emmy's friends. We drove uh, tw- uh, 90 minutes to, to the beach uh, to have a little bit of a just little beach party to celebrate the do- uh, this daughter of mine turning 12 years old. Could you believe it? She's 12 years old. I celebrated her, her being 12, and the wife just sat there and cried a lot. But okay, I cried too. Hey, Jesus wept. But we got to the beach just before noon and ate our picnic lunch in the parking lot because nobody wants to watch a four-year-old with pasta salad in the sand. Nobody nobody need that. Went down to the water, and and, uh, I took out a couple folding chairs, took my seat. Sun, you know, had about 88 degrees out there. By 4 p.m., it was approaching the 100-degree mark. Kids were back and forth playing with uh, buckets in the sand to swim in the lake. I uh, had a good book. I had uh, my hat, some shades, and my shorts. I was quite happy. I was hot, and I knew I was going to be hot, but the thing was, I didn't know how hot I was. Didn't realize how hot I was getting. You know, and this is even after drinking about five bottles of Dollar General water and three Capri Suns. I I have forgotten over the years how good Capri Sun can taste when it's 95 degrees. It can really be good. This, adults do. You might take this home with you. Wife. You know, every hour would, you know, come here, spray that suntan stuff on me. And I thought I was covered. I thought I was good from all that heat. But you know what? Three plus hours staring at a, at a book down on my leg, that sun was bound and determined. You can't keep the sun down. That sun was bound and determined to find some place on my body to leave a mark. And that night I was settling into my living room recliner, peeling off my socks. And there's an image you need to have in your mind about your preacher. I was, I took my socks off and, and I had this very painful burn line about the width of my thumb from the end of my shorts to my ankles. This picture's not getting any better for you guys, is it? But I didn't realize how much the sun had got to me. Even after all that spraying, after all that hat wearing, it didn't matter how made in the shade I thought I was in the end, I still got burned. The heat still got me. And you know, It sounds like a jump, but I kind of think that's the way sin can work on us in this life, too. If we're saved through faith in Christ, we're made in the shade, you know. But if we're just trying to beat the heat on our own, if we're just trying to stay frosty by ourselves, always wanted to use that expression up here. 
If we think we don't really need God's help, pretending we can just beat the heat of eternity because we do all the right things, maybe even wear the right kind of hat, we may want to take better cover before we face the sun. One author writes, even if you have known Christ for many years, you should be growing in your understanding of the gospel. For if we cannot be clear on these matters for our own sakes, how can we share it clearly with others? I'm paraphrasing. Even much of our modern theological and evangelical thinking, that is, the church we, we most commonly see. The urgency for God's grace is being watered down in many of our churches. The preacher of the largest church in America, this author goes on to report, was recently featured on a popular news program. I'm not going to name uh, the preacher, but I will say that I'm asked far too frequently by other believers about whether I listen to the guy on the radio, for example, and I've never decided which was the better answer to these folks. No, or are you crazy? But according to this author, uh, when this preacher was questioned why he actually failed to get this, uh, mention a couple names, mention uh, God or Jesus Christ, fairly important if you're a preacher, failed to mention God or Jesus Christ in the main points of his latest book. The preacher's response was, I feel like I'm called to help people, as in how do we walk out the Christian life? How do we live it? He continues, there's a lot better people qualified to say, here's a book that's going to explain the scriptures to you. I don't believe that's my gifting. This is a preacher. As the author of the article rightfully asked, why then is he involved in the pastoral ministry? How can you genuinely help lost people? If you don't point them to the cross of Christ. This is where our help comes from. Only at the cross is there grace. And grace alone. Maybe uh, the biggest stumbling block for many of us. Preaching grace and grace alone. I don't know. Maybe it's the idea that you, you get what you deserve right. Maybe this strikes a nerve with, with some of us personally this morning. Uh, maybe this idea of fairness can even keep us from a relationship or a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. We still think in the end that fairness should, wear, uh, should win at the end of the day. Our culture is obsessed with the idea of fairness and justice, even if we uh, see so little of both in it. We've even coined a few cliches in our language uh, encompassing the idea such as uh, work hard and you'll succeed in all you do in life. Not to be a cynic, but we just know that's not true. We're, we fail, sometimes repeatedly. But we hear, build up those relationships and certain people will never fail you. Good thought, not always the way it goes, right? People do leave us. Here's another one. Smile and the world smiles with you. Right, except for the ones that think you're off your rocker. How about you always get what you pay for? Have you ever paid for a kid's fundraiser? $18 for like three Reese's peanut butter cups or something. That one's a lie. But we still tend to believe that life is just, that life should be just, or that in the end justice always prevails. Yes, there's biblical precedent for that, Galatians 6-7, but it makes the idea of gift righteousness, which is what we have from God, as opposed to works righteousness, often lost. We, we don't think, how could a good God have grace for a sinner like me? Instead, we think, well, how couldn't he? I've never done anything uh, horrible enough to deserve God's wrath, right? 
We don't think, uh, have mercy on me, God. We think, well, I don't physically cheat on my spouse the way my neighbor does. I do glance at another woman every once in a while, though. How's that hurting anybody? You see, we have these constantly changing ideas of what justice really is and how it should be played out based on how we feel at the moment. We, we think life should be fair, but the trouble is we're not fair. Think about it. At a funeral, how often do we think about someone we admire? Well, Joe's been a wonderful person his whole life. He's going to go to heaven when he passes away because that's only fair. But if it's a funeral for someone who's made our life just a little bit difficult, instead we're thinking, well, that Benny's been an absolute scoundrel and a cheat as long as I've known him. I just know he's heading on that fast land to a land down under. Mate, that's only fair. But then we actually expect God to be fair with us at our dying breath. Because we're not all that bad, right? Jack Cottrell writes, if you want God to be fair with you on the day of just judgment, you'll go to hell, guaranteed. Because that's what all sinners deserve. I'd like to say that's kind of a boom mic drop for Jack Cottrell. But he continues, if you want to go to heaven rather than fairness, we must get away from the idea of fairness. We must think instead of, of terms of grace. Grace is the opposite of fairness, meaning that on Judgment Day, we as sinners will get the very opposite of what we deserve. When it comes to eternity, we don't want what we deserve. And what we deserve isn't what he wants to give us either. God has offered us grace. In the original Greek, the word grace, uh, I'm terrible at pronoun pronouncing grace, or pronouncing uh, Greek rather, uh, C-H-A-R-I-S. The word literally meaning favor in the original Greek. It's been given to you freely. We must choose it freely, and then we must pass the word on. At a national prayer breakfast in a famous hotel this past February, <clears throat> one speaker holding an honorable spot among those present turned his attention to highlighting those who, quote, strive to help others as part of their daily routines. He mentioned American servicemen and servicewomen around the world who were around the clock, quote, defending our great American flag. He talked about police officers who sacrificed for their communities. He honored students and parents who, quote, worked two and three jobs to give their children a better, a much more prosperous and happier life. He even referenced America's teachers who, quote, work tirelessly for their students. And he concluded by saying, America will always be the land of the free, home of the brave, as long as we open our eyes to God's grace. That through love, courage, and sacrifice, we glimpse the grace of Almighty God. Now here comes the part that might get you, my friends. Uh, the service wasn't near a church building. The speaker wasn't a minister. The location was Washington. The man of the microphone was President Trump. I have to say, I believe every word our president, mine and yours, said at this dinner about the grace of God. For we glimpse the grace of God through the love, courage, and sacrifice of the Son. And if we would all truly embrace that grace, it would make America great again. It would truly change this nation and this world. 
I can't tell you where any of our elected leaders stand when it comes to Jesus. I can't even say where you or you or you or you or you or you are standing this morning when it comes to the grace of God. That's between you and God. But I can tell you what's been offered to all of us, not just what we deserve. Do we have the courage to extend those glimpses of grace to others as well? Next week, we're going to continue on and discuss exactly how you, you, and you can do just that, can be people who pass on the love, the courage, the sacrifice to those around you. We're going to go on next week. Uh, the name of the message, Grace for Your Friends and Family. Oh, that, that could be scary. Following week, July 29, we'll talk about grace for your enemies. That one's likely not going to be any easier. Um. We'll conclude this series with what it means to have, quote, grace for the world on August 5. And I hope you'll come back and, and join me for this entire series. Now, I mentioned earlier, out of all the topics we can discuss, this one is a life changer. I firmly believe that. Jesus Christ calls to you, dead in your sins. It's a limited offer. It's not an offer that is in any way fair, but it's one that is absolutely free. Absolutely free. Life wasn't in any way fair to Jesus Christ. Life wasn't in any way fair to Jesus Christ. You ever stop and think about that? But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection, instead of death, can await you, can await me too. All because there's grace for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we call to you this morning. We are, we are humbled by what you offer to us freely. Lord, we, we don't deserve your love. We are dead in our sin without you. And all that we are hangs on what you have done. Lord, I pray this morning that if there be anyone this morning who does not know your grace, Lord, I pray that they would come forward. They would accept the free gift that's been offered. They would go down into those Waters of baptism come up a new creation. Lord, I pray that this would be the day that changes everything for anyone who doesn't know you. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for making a way for us that makes up the difference between where we are dead in our sin, in your holiness. And Lord, I pray that if, if we are covered, I pray, Lord, that if, if we do know you, that, that we would be compelled, we would be convicted to do all we can to take that message forward, to take that grace and pay it forward. 
Lord, be with us. Open our, our hearts to your word. Lord, we call upon your spirit to reach us just where we are. Whether we need you or we need more of you. And that we be people of grace in all we do because of what you've done for us. Lord, help us not to be complacent. Help us not to be satisfied just with the past success. But help us to look forward. And that your kingdom may expand, may grow. Lord, it's all because of you. And it's all because of what you've done. And we love you and we thank you. And we praise your name today. From our places down low you who are on high, you who are greater than anyone and anything. We love you, we worship you, we praise your name. In Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Again this morning, we're going to stand a song, we're going to stand and sing a song that's all about that grace, all about what it is we truly stand for. We gather here each week what this cross is all about, what our church, what the legacy of our church is all about. We believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe that he's conquered death. We believe that he's coming back again one day. If you believe, would you stand to and sing? And if you have a public decision to make to receive that grace in the waters of baptism or to rededicate yourself publicly to Jesus this morning, would you come forward? as we sing.